Hello and welcome to Sit and Listen, a production of Science in the News. We are a graduate student-led organization at Harvard University focused on generating discussions between scientists, other experts, and enthusiasts. The global pandemic caused by the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, has changed the world and altered all of our lives. In this series of episodes titled Scientists at Home, we present narratives of life and research during the pandemic from scientists and academics across a broad range of disciplines and stages of their careers. We hope that in hearing these narratives, you'll feel a sense of camaraderie with the scientific community as we acclimate to these difficult times. Hi there, my name is Chad Stein, and I'm a fourth-year PhD student in the Biological and Biomedical Sciences program at Harvard University. Today, you'll be hearing my interview with Dr. Nicola Molinari. Dr. Molinari is a research associate in materials, science, and mechanical engineering at the Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. This interview took place on December 18th, 2020. Okay, so I wanted to start off by thanking you for joining us today. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you are and how you got here? Sure. So I did my undergrad in Italy. Uh, I'm Italian, as you probably guessed from the accent, um, in physics. And then I won European scholarship for exchange students. And I went to the UK where I did a master. And I also applied and got a PhD position. So I got my PhD from Imperial College. From my PhD, I wanted to challenge myself with different experiences. And uh, in Italy, you don't really do internships between academic years. So, for instance, I didn't have any industrial experience. So I um, applied and got a position as a basically research intern in a, uh, at the Bosch Research Center in uh, in Cambridge. And I really liked it. And uh, at the same time, my manager was also uh, applying for a faculty position at Harvard, and eventually he got it. And um, so what I did after my internship is going back to London. I finished my PhD and then he asked me if I wanted to start a postdoctoral appointment in his group. Uh, and I thought that would be a very exciting opportunity. I think I don't want to stay in academia, but I feel like I could learn more by staying inside academia a little bit longer. So I took the position and now I've been promoted also to research associate, which is basically a glorified postdoc with uh PI privileges on some grants. That was like almost a year ago. What was the transition like coming from London to the Boston area? The funniest thing is that when I came to Boston, everyone was complaining about how expensive Boston was because they were coming from other places in the US. Uh, but I was coming from London. So I was like, hmm, this doesn't feel too expensive. I feel like money-wise, London especially as a PhD, is completely unaffordable. And here I had an intern salary, and the intern salary was like three times my PhD salary in a city that was less expensive. So it was definitely interesting. The other thing I, I remember really liking, uh, actually, was the weather. And that might sound surprising, but London has a very boring weather. It doesn't rain all the time, as people think, but it's always gray. And the temperature never gets too hot, never gets too cold. And, uh, you know, I kind of prefer ups and downs in life. So in your role as a postdoc, what would a typical day look like for you? 
uh, I like waking up early, around like six. So, uh, and I like going to the Hemingway gym. In the office, I, I right, right after that, I go to the office, I work. But what I like is uh, the community that the office creates. In principle, my work could be done entirely remotely. However, I feel like the community in the office really helps fostering ideas. And even if you're stuck, you just go for a walk, you you sip a coffee, and then you go back. And quite often, we used to, basically every day, we were having lunch together. And quite often, we were also having dinner together. Is the office like in the movies where there's just like whiteboards of equations everywhere? Or is it a little more? Pretty much. Okay. Actually, it's pretty cool. The, the corridor, in the corridor itself, there are blackboards attached to the, to the wall. Actual blackboards, not even whiteboards, like blackboards. So you're just walking back from taking a coffee, talking with someone about an idea, and you're next to the blackboard and you're like sketching stuff. So you can see all these like crazy sketches. Okay, so it sounds like you had a pretty like standard work day. And then earlier this year, hearing about reports of this virus sort of in the January, February time frame, what were your thoughts like? So at the beginning, wasn't sure what was the level of things seemed to be going business as usual. For instance, um, at the end of February, beginning of March, I was, I had to chair a session at a conference in Denver. And this was literally at the first days of March, right? So already a month after the first report in the US, I think. I flew to Denver for the conference and uh, the day before the conference started, the organizers decided to cancel it. So, you know, there was this feeling of maybe we can get away with it, but then eventually the sense of doom kind of arrived, right? I mean, especially for me, I I wasn't as positive as other people because, uh, you know, as I said, I'm Italian and uh, the situation was already pretty bad in Italy at the time. I wasn't positive also because here... There was this sentiment of we are too good to have this problem, which is ridiculous. Especially uh, this happened right after the Christmas break. A lot of people were traveling and everything. And uh, true, like the United States has a ge- geographic advantage when it comes to all these sort of things, right? I feel like there was a sense of underestimation. Do you mind if I ask what it was like, you know, hearing reports from Italy from back home? Yeah, no, sure. So... It was it was definitely weird because not only Italy was the worst set, but also the region where I'm from was the worst. So that was bad. I mean, luckily my mom as the can just work from home, so she just uh, locked herself at home, and that was fine. My dad cannot do that, so he had to go to work. So that was really bad. But to be honest. The thing I was thinking the most, I mean, my parents are relatively young. They're not that, but I have still three grandparents and that's what it was I was mostly worried about. And so it was sad because last time I've been home, it was of course Christmas last year. So I was like, if you do not stay home, there is a risk that I will never see you again. So it wasn't super fun. None of my family, none, none of the people of my family got the virus. I know people. Uh, they got it, like, in, uh, not really got it, I know them directly. Okay, so the conference you said was in early March? Yeah, it was, uh, the first week of March. Okay, and then after that, things happened pretty quickly in terms of, you know, everything locking down? Yeah, I mean, I came back and Harvard, I mean, Harvard, of course, being private and, uh, 
not, you know, having all the freedom to do whatever they want. They went into full lockdown extremely quickly. Um, and uh, I came back and within a week they were like, you should take all your stuff and leave because we're locking the doors, basically. So how did your days change once you were kind of, you know, booted from the lab? Despite being able to do work from home, I never did. I almost never did work from home before because I, I like to keep these two things completely separate. So like home and work. Now it's, it's, it's of course impossible to do that. So it really feels weird. You wake up, I go downstairs, prepare my mocha coffee, come, come upstairs and work. And I basically do that, uh, until the end of time. The gym was also another excuse to socialize for me because I had a couple of friends, they were coming with me. So we were meeting and, uh, you know, spending an hour at the gym, talking and uh, working out. That's probably the single thing I, uh, I miss the most about being able to live like a normal life. Have you come up with any ways to kind of replace that interaction or has it been difficult? But, um, so my days are already work-wise in front of the monitor. And uh, when I was not home, again, taking a coffee, you just take off your eyes from the screen, right? Uh, you walk around, you see other things, uh, and you interact with people. But having to do this through Zoom, um, not only you don't have the same level of um, like social interaction, not only is not as uh, organic and uh, as spontaneous as in person, but on top of that, you have the fact that it forces you in front of a laptop even longer. And I really don't like that. Like, you know, I have a couple of friends uh, that they know they're safe and uh, they uh, look after themselves and they don't see people. And uh, I see them every now and then. Uh, so when it was warm outside, we were having barbecues, like in two people, not like not party barbecue, but literally me and another person like once a week and they saw things. So I, I reduced very much my level of social interaction, but I kept a couple of connections uh, that I feel made me over, my overall risk was still incredibly low. Uh, but at the same time, I was not uh, renouncing, like I was not giving up a lot of basically everything. Uh, maintaining a bubble. Yeah, maintaining a very small, but, you know, Existing bubble, I would say. So the medical school started up like lab activities at some point over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, did that also happen for your work or are you still totally working from home? How does that been? Yeah. So I'm in the School of Engineering and Applied Sciences department, CIS. CIS also opened, I think in June or end of June or something like that. But of course, the priority is to keep the campus de-densified as much as possible, which is of course the correct thing to do. And uh, I don't have any need to be in the office work-wise. So the priority, of course, goes to experimental people. And uh, those people that, if they stay home, they literally cannot work, right? There is a protocol that I need to go through if I want to get to my office. Let's say that I have some stuff that I need to get from my office, right? There is a protocol that I can follow to enter my office. It's not really an issue in the sense that I share the office with other theory people. So the office is completely deserted right now. Um, there's no, maybe the minimal occupancy, the maximum occupancy is two people, but there are zero all the time because they're all theory, right? 
if the constraint, the floor constraints and the building constraints are satisfied, uh, it's not too hard to find a slot uh, to get in. That said, I've never done it myself. I know this because a friend of mine uh, does it. Um, he, he finds working from home completely undoable. So he's basically the only one in his group that can go in the office, but he goes in the office four times, four times a week more or less. So things haven't changed much for you then? No, things have not changed at all since basically March. And, uh, and I think it will stay like this for probably until the summer. Because again, I'm literally the last one that should go in the office work-wise. Yeah, that's really tough. Yeah, the only, it's not a bright thing, but it's something that doesn't, you know, make you completely sad is that everyone has the same issue, right? So it's something that is shared by anyone. So you're like, at least I'm not the only one that is living this miserable life. Yeah, it's universal suffering. Universal suffering, indeed. So I also understand you're the vice president of the postdoctoral association for the uh, School of Arts and Sciences. I am, yeah. Uh, would you mind sharing, you know, kind of what the time like timeline for that's been like over the last year? How things have mm-hmm. changed? How you've adjusted? Yeah, definitely. The the presidency for the postdoctoral association changes uh, in the summer. So I became the vice president in uh, in August, right? And um, before that, I was already part of the association and I was leading the career committee. I really like the, the the association. Of course, before COVID, we were having a lot of socials uh, where postdocs were maybe sharing, you know, a laugh over a barbecue or like over some beers uh, in some nice locations on campus. But I was mostly dedicated to the career committee. Uh, yeah. I led implementation of the uh, Career Tuesdays, I call them. Uh, basically, in May, every Tuesday, we're having uh, a panel of two or three industry people that were postdocs, but they chose industry to basically share whatever experience they had and uh, the understanding of the transition to the postdoc community, and it was very successful. And after that, someone suggested me as a vice president Actually, someone suggested me as a president, but I felt that there was a little too much commitment. So I took the vice president uh, seat instead. It's been challenging because, so there are like some things that we can carry on completely business as usual. So we are really advocating for our postdoctoral handbook for the uh, FAS postdocs, which is not existing right now. And uh, we think it's outrageous. So we're really working on that and that can be done remotely, of course. But the issue is that we get weekly these emails about postdocs that's just, they're just onboarded or they arrive in April or arrive, you know, at some point during the pandemic. And they, they, they're all incredibly sad. They're all like, can we please, please do something in any sort? Like, can you organize something in a park? And uh, the issue with this is, you know, we are institutionalized, right? We're part of Harvard. We cannot recommend to meet in a park, right? I mean, Harvard has a very strict, we do not advise to meet anyone rule, right? So as, a, as an association, we cannot promote or organize these events, even if they're like very contained in number and outside. So we try to do trivia nights over Zoom or other events like this. 
they're they're good. Uh, I mean, people still show up, of course, because as I said, they really need this. But at the same time, it it feels like you're really thirsty for water, and you keep drinking, but you never get satisfied, right? That's the kind of feeling that these events give you. It's been hard. It's been challenging. I guess the bright side is that we have more time maybe to dedicate to these other uh, advocacy uh, tasks. Do you see anything changing in the near future for that, or is it kind of you know on par with everything else? I think it will be on par with everything else. I mean, Harvard as an institution is still keeping massively densified, and it's inviting only, I think, the senior undergrad for the spring semester. Yeah, there is no... I think the situation will go back to some level of normality campus-wide uh, with the new academic year. So probably, you know, September next year, we can have probably a discussion about how close we are to normality. I don't think until then anything will change for me or the Postal Falls Association. Yeah, I can't even imagine starting at like a totally new place under these conditions, um, especially if you don't know it's, anyone already here. It's crazy, yeah, right? There are these people that, you know, Harvard is a big uh, attractor, attractor for uh, international postdocs as well, right? So you get these people that move continent and they don't do not know anyone in Boston or do not know anyone at all in general, and they just are in their room, you know, doing nothing and uh, not seeing anyone, not knowing what to eat around. It is really hard. Yeah, that's definitely we feel this level of impotency. I don't know if that's the right word, but basically we would like to do something, but we cannot. Yeah, and I think the fraction of population affected by this is pretty pretty large. And on top of that, there seems to be less of a support for postdocs from the university as well in terms of emergency fundings and this sort of thing, right? So that's something we are we also advocate for. But yeah, I mean, the situation is difficult for everyone, so. Is there anything specific that you would like the university to do that they're not currently doing? Like, I would hope that they have in place stronger um, support systems for postdocs in terms of uh, appointment. A lot of our appointments are completely tied to our PIs, and our PIs have been affected by, uh, by COVID. Our grants have been affected by COVID. Our immigration status have been affected by COVID because if you were outside uh, the U.S., it's really hard to, to come back in or even just to get your visa renewed because of uh, the consulates are mostly closed, right? So I would feel like more support on this, more support on uh, helping us navigating this complicated landscape. More broadly speaking, how do you think this period of coronavirus has affected science as an endeavor? Both for, you know, from a postdoc perspective and then, you know, kind of science in general. Mm. That's a very difficult question. Um, so, like, as a postdoc, I, I'm not 100% interested in academia, but as a postdoc, it might be really, really hard to find a position after, after this. I mean, this does not really apply, I guess, to Harvard postdocs, because if there are 10 positions, uh, Harvard postdocs will be first in line for those 10 positions anyway. Uh, but especially if you are like a maybe lesser known institution, it's going to be really hard. And uh, 
you know, there are in my field, it might not even be that bad because I have a lot of industries where I can go and work and so on, but there are other maybe postdoctoral areas where you're much more specialized in one very tiny thing and you were betting all your career on uh, on academia or there are postdocs that are like if you are in the bio area uh you know those experiments can be a year long three years long and uh just completely destroyed your experiment and uh, probably also your career chances so for, for science in general i mean postdocs will be the professors of tomorrow so there will be a gap of some sort uh, in the future. I don't know how quickly this will be uh, recovered, right? Um, because it might be that for two or three years it's like this, and then they have a higher research. But I don't think that this will be the case. And for science in general, there are a lot of negative things, of course, but let's try to be uh, looking at the bright side here for for once. I feel like this made more normal to just reach out to random people and talk about science, right? So normally maybe they would tell you, let's meet at this conference or uh, have you seen this talk of mine or blah, blah. And uh, now if they say that, they can just point you to an online video talk of theirs and you can just watch that. And uh, if they want to talk, you can just send them a, a Zoom link, right? I feel it made more normal this level of interactions, which I mean right now it's not good because it's the only level of interactions that you have access to. But once things go back to normal, I feel to some extent we are more integrated uh, as a community. There is less of a concern about just shooting in email to someone, I guess. You don't think people are gonna turn off Zoom one last time and then, you know, never open it again? Well, Hopefully not. Hopefully we uh, we learn the positives. I, I feel, you know, Zoom is just a mean to do this. And, uh, you know, once everything else will go back to normal, it would be fine to hop on Zoom every now and then. And then maybe just to finish up on a lighter note, is there any kind of hobby or interest that you picked up during uh, the time of quarantine or TV shows, movies? Well, I'm Italian, so I feel like I work towards my stereotype. I uh, got into coffee. I mean, I was drinking a lot of coffee even before, but it was kind of bad coffee because it was coffee that I was randomly getting around. But now I ordered my nice whole beans coffee, like very refined, and then I grind them myself, and I have my small mocha pot. It's, it's super tiny and super cute because it's uh, for one. It's basically a ritual, right? If you had to do this for like more than one person, it would be annoying. But it is for one person. So in the morning you wake up and you smell the coffee and it's really nice. And then cooking as well to finish the stereotype. So uh, for Thanksgiving, for instance, I had lasagna. So very American Thanksgiving, you yeah. know. Yeah, I would say that. Probably, yeah, probably this is a positive. Uh, my diet, I was eating decently before, but my diet definitely improved because uh, I always liked cooking, but I feel like I was lacking time. Mm-hmm. And before a lunch, I was going to the cafeteria, right? And I was spending quite a lot to get food that probably quality wise wasn't the best. But now I can completely com- control that. And that actually really like, I feel like this is something I would miss when everything goes back to normal, you know, the freedom to eat whatever I wanted for lunch. Is there and, any uh, other recipe that you are working toward or, you know, something that you haven't been able to pull off yet that you'd like to? 
I made tortellini twice, but I I don't know if you ever tried to make tortellini, probably no. But uh, there is an issue, which is flattening the dough really, really a lot. The first time I made them, it looked flat enough, and then you close them, and then you put them in, in the in the boiling water, and then it wells. I don't know what it happens, but then it becomes very clear that it's not flat enough, and then you eat this massive bowl. It's basically a gnocco. I don't know if you know what gnocchi are, uh, but it basically become a, a gnocco, which is not what you want. So it's not bad, but you know you're just disappointed because it's not the outcome you wanted. I guess. I tried twice and I never managed to, to pull this off. But I think my next investment will be, um, you know, one of those machines that you can manually, uh, uh, there are like two cylinders that they uh, flatten the door and then I will be able to pull that off. I hope that helps. <laughs> thank you. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.